But why not, right? That's kind of what you were saying? I mean, honestly, I root for everyone who turns pro, but because I had some experience in turning pro and getting amateur status back, you don't want to miss your life. You don't want to miss playing competitive golf, chasing PGA Tour. Don't get me wrong, we all want to be in the PGA Tour. Why wouldn't we? But um, there's so much fun to be had playing mid-am golf, amateur golf. Everyone's hanging out, having a good time. You get to know people, you get to know their lives. And I know I only say this now, but I've only been in this circle four or five years, six years. But I, I can already see these are the best friends I'm going to have the rest of my life. And I only see them five, six, seven times a year. And it's a pretty, pretty good group to be a part of. Yeah. All right, welcome to the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. Sitting across from the table from Dylan DeChair, professional golfer uh, who, who just capped off his return to the professional golf scene at the Goslings Invitational in Bermuda. Finished up, what, three places shy of making some money? What an event. Content to come. You shot one round in the 70s, 80s, and 60s in that order to miss out on the money. You made a 10, uh, almost rallied back. What a week. I, I finally learned what people mean when they say things are moving quickly. Things, oh boy, there was a little stretch in the middle of the tournament where things got moving fast. Um, really cool event. It's a mix of pros and ams. Uh, so there's a, a talented field, guys that have played, played on the web.com tour, guys who are you know professional athletes. Eric Gagne was in my sights all week. It's <laughs> like I cannot lose to Eric Gagne, who of course was the Dodgers closer. Uh, but it is this mix of people, mix of of uh formats from the the pro-am monday to then 72 holes of stroke play which you know credit to everyone that actually makes it through especially people that you know are, are amateur golfers that are playing this thing because that is a brutal relentless format there'll be more to come on the gi as we've called it um we spent the entire week in bermuda let's talk a little bit about the bermuda courses we're going to get to matt parziali in a little while but first let's talk about the courses you played with him let's start before that because the two of us got there sunday evening we stayed at the fairmont southampton which actually has a golf course that is you know right outside the back door which is any golfer's dream you just walk outside bring your clubs with you uh it's 18 holes all par threes and this place was awesome it was an incredible variety uh we got out there walking in the afternoon, what did we pay? Fifty bucks to get out there. Forty-five each. Forty-five each. Walking, eighteen holes. I mean, come on, it's a par three course. It's, it's a uh, hilly, but but it's a good walk. And we learned that as far as deals on Bermuda goes, that's actually a pretty good one because yeah. it's an expensive island. Yeah, it's an expensive island, but that course it hosts the World Championship uh, par threes. It's one of the, I and mean, it's highly acclaimed. It's one of the you know, one of the better par three courses in the world. I've seen better, but in it, like in peak form, I think it probably is one of the best. Yeah. The greens are a little slow. It had just rained a bunch, but short of hitting driver, you pretty much were able to hit every sort of shot that you'd want to. I mean, there were short holes, there were downhill wedges, you know, just over a hundred yards, 110 yard shots all the way up to one hole we played 230 into the wind and hit a little sawed off three wood. So yeah. I think people generally look at par three courses as these little kind of dinky things. Yeah, this, like a this, pitch and putt. Yeah, and this wasn't that. I mean, of the first like six or seven or eight holes, there are a bunch of 140 yard holes, 
but they're going uphill, downhill, like into the wind on those four holes that are all 140 yards. I think I hit four different clubs. Yeah. You can also see the ocean from, I think, 16 or 17 of the holes there. So it's a great setting. It's a fun little course. Moving on, Port Royal is the first course that you played in the event, and we only played 18 holes of it, unfortunately. I think that course has 11 or 12 good holes, and but I think that they're all the last 11 or 12. Like It kind of starts out as a pretty meh golf course in my eyes, but then eventually it gets out closer to the ocean, and you've got some incredible views. You've got generally a pretty stiff wind, and you're kind of battling. I mean, you, when you played it, you were kind of battling to, to get in the house. Yeah, I mean, the first six holes are, are fine, but, you know, forgettable. And then you get up to the seventh hole, which each day we played it was into a powerful wind, like 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, legit three, four club wind. And the cool thing about this hole is you climb up, up, up the hill to the green, just playing extra long, walking up into the wind, and then you get to the green and boom, there's the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, the color of the water in Bermuda really stuck out to me. There were these different blues, this really light blues, but then these deeper blues a little further out. It's this thing that I've never quite seen anywhere else. So that all of a sudden spreads out in front of you. And then the next couple holes run along the water with great views um, before going inland a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the last stretch of maybe 12 holes have a couple good par fives, really, really good par threes in my opinion. And then challenging par fours, which it for me is kind of all I want. Um, the price, unfortunately to play is about $180. Yeah. I, I don't know if the golf course is $180 of worth of my money, but for people who are ready to go to Bermuda, they're ready to spend some money. You are. Yep. Port Royal is a course you need to play. Um, yeah, and I've got gripes because of how things went down in the tournament with uh, the 15th and 17th holes. A little tight, a little funky, but 16 is a spectacular par 3. Wind whipping off the water, but the green is right on the water. So you have to go ahead and start your ball over the ocean, hope the wind blows it back. You can play that thing as long as, what, 230 yards. Mm-hmm. We mercifully played it a little bit shorter in the tournament itself, but... That was definitely an experience. Uh, we took some photos there. So Port Royal, I liked it. Also an experience was Belmont Hills. Uh, I sat there thinking, like, what are the things that I can say about this golf course? Um, I did think that the greens were very good. Yeah, well, let's let's set the stage. I tweeted out a photo of this the other day that people really reacted to because, you know, when you're starting a tournament, they'll give you these sheets that have the rules laid out. It'll say you know, local rules, hazards here, and then it'll say out of bounds here. And, and a lot of courses will have a couple of these. Um, and Belmont Hills had out of bounds on each and every one of the 18 holes. It said hole number one, hole number two, hole number, I've never seen anything like it. That set us up for an unpredictable first round there. I think the best thing you can say about it is it had character. And once you know where you're going, it's actually not such an unfair test but yeah it's punishing if you miss it all yeah and it doesn't require many drivers for someone of our age probably who can hit the ball out there 275 to 290 there's not a lot of holes that that's giving you a lot of help 
which I don't like. I mean, I think you should really have to use 14 clubs in your bag to play really well at a golf course. And this is just a lot of three irons off the tee. Yeah. But like I said earlier, I think very good greens and certainly a challenge. Like, like if you want to, I guess, test your game in under some type of pressure, it would be to hit 18 tee shots there and never come close to the out of bounds. Yeah. You have to hit good shots off the tee. If you can hit it 220 straight and then you can hit a tight wedge, you'll do well there. Let's move on to mid-ocean, which is far and away, in my opinion, the best course on the island. And I don't think anyone's really going to disagree with that. It's a private course. You can get on there for public play. You kind of have to know somebody. Yeah, it's funny because I was looking at their website and you, there's no rate listed, right? It's a private club, but it sounds like they will take your money if it is green they will accept at, it at the right time. And it's probably just short of $300 to play. Yeah. Uh, which again, m- for my money, I don't, I don't know if I can spend that much to yeah, play you're there. Kind of grading on a scale, I guess, because look, you go to Bermuda and you know, a, a burger is going to cost you 20 bucks wherever you are. So things are, are priced a little bit differently. Mid ocean. If you can get the chance to get out there, it is pretty spectacular. So Charles Blair McDonald designed this thing. Old school golf architect. The construction for it started in uh, 1913, I think. And it was finished in the 20s. Um, and it has some of these template holes, uh, these old school golden age design concepts. It kind of makes you feel like you're playing on more of a classic course, even though you're in this uh, resorty. Well, maybe not resorty, but you're in this touristy island but it has this old school golf feel to it. The greens are hard when it was windy. The course was really tough um, and it had a spectacular finish. Yeah. And and the wind sat down. We had a a sunset finish, which was pretty stellar. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but if, if you bring your golf clubs to Bermuda, I would play one round at turtle Hill and one round at mid ocean. I would, I would rather do one round at mid ocean than a round at Port Royal and Belmont. Yeah. Yeah, we heard about uh, the People's Course also, which I think is called Ocean View, which is out there. 50 bucks, all you can play. So it's it's really just depends on the experience. If you're looking for this special, memorable experience, Mid-Ocean is the spot to go. I mean, as far as individual single shots, 16 at Port Royal is still pretty tough to beat. Mm-hmm. But I would I think my favorite part of the trip was probably standing on the the 18th tee at mid-ocean, which is on the edge of a cliff, really. Uh, and we timed it up so that that was while the sun was setting. It, it was very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Matt Parziali, who is kind of the bell of the ball down at the Gossings Invitational. He was. The uh, 2017 Mid-Am champ. He was uh, – well, you played together in the Pro-Am. We hung out with him actually a lot of the week. He's a good dude. Pretty much, I imagine our viewers kind of already know that because – he went on a huge kind of media tour as he was playing the Masters this year, the U.S. Open this year. He was a lot of fun to hang out with. We're going to have, I guess, a, a, a tape-delayed discussion here in a second. But before we get going with that, Dylan, what surprised you most? Well, he was an, he was an interesting guy to talk to because he, on the surface, just a fun-loving guy, liked golf, didn't, you know, didn't seem too worried about this and that. But then once we got into talking about him, he was an insightful, thoughtful guy. The most interesting thing was when he was actually talking about this year coming to a close, like how it has been this 
this big year for him where he's had somewhat constant media attention. I think at times that's been a lot for him to handle, especially around the Masters when people well, want he, access, he really, access, access. Yeah, he really took it in stride, though. I mean, he did. He talked to you right away the day after it, and he said, like, later that day, all of a sudden, he's got, like, 12 requests. Yeah. It's just, like, it, it lines up like crazy. And he decided that he was going to give people the time that they wanted up, up to a certain point. But it, I think it's tough because all of a sudden you're going to Augusta and this is your special experience. You're never going to have this experience again in that way. And all of a sudden you're asked to share it with yeah, everyone wants a piece X of and Y and Z, you know, not just your friends, your family, but now these media outlets, um, people like us, we would love to, to share that experience and to see what it's like. But, uh, I think that there's been so much go, go, go that now this off season, I th- it sounds like he's he's just starting to realize like okay this is this is going to be over now or or to get back there i'm going to need to play really well again yeah got to do it again uh he he gets into talking a lot about that during our conversation with him we talked to him uh, right as the Gosling's invitational finished out so enjoy that all right we are sitting here with Sean and with our guest Matt Parziali here cheers boys after the conclusion, the final round of the Gosling's Invitational, we are here in Bermuda on location this week. And Matt, we are psyched to have you. Thanks for having me, boys. You guys, you guys tied. We tied. Yeah. We Started tied. the week together playing the uh, Pro-Am. Had a blast. And, uh, Great caddy. Unfortunately, we didn't get to play with each other again, but ended at the uh, same spot on the leaderboard. That's right. You got you got me 2-1 and one in our Monday four ball. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I guess, yeah, we ended up in the same spot from the tournament. And so I guess we wanted to ask you a little bit just to start out about the Gosling's Invitational because you've now been here, what, this is your second year here? This is my second year, yeah. And what do you think? I mean, there there's no other tournament that I've ever been to that's quite like this one. Yeah, so when I first heard about this event, it was probably two years ago, three years ago, I'm sorry, when Steve Riccardi got Robbie Thompson to come down and play in the event, and now Robbie's a tournament director. And so Robbie was talking to me all of 2017. Um, I'm gonna have you come down. The winner of the Mass Am got a, f- uh, a free exemption, so I won the Mass Am and I got my entry free paid for last year, which was great. Nice. So um, I made one prior trip last year to Bermuda with Robbie and Steve, and really fell in love with this island. Like it's these people are so nice, it's so clean here, and it's pretty nice to come here in the middle of. Not winter yet, but when it's getting cold at home. Sure, yeah, I mean, which makes it actually kind of tricky to prepare for this event, probably, right? Because how, how full a schedule have you been playing recently? Yeah, so recently I haven't been playing much, but uh, I played a schedule this year that'll be as full as it'll ever be. Um, yeah. Obviously, it was a blast. I wouldn't change it for the world, but um, these last couple of months, I kind of took some downtime and was able to get my life at home back in order, but it's always good to come here and compete. Um, even though I didn't play well this week, I had a blast trying to play well. Yeah, but so. also, isn't it, you said the first night here, it's kind of a great event for your purposes for World Amateur Golf Ranking, right? Yeah, this is, um, we get ranked as a professional field. Um, I won't get as many points as I did last year because I finished a little bit higher on the leaderboard, yeah. but uh, we're going to get points and points. So you're at 151 out. right now. Do you think you'll go up? Uh, that's quite, if I played well, I probably would have, but yeah. because I didn't play well, probably not. So, yeah. um, Herb had a great week. Uh, he'll probably jump way up and hopefully he gets in top 400, but gets, gets an exempt for the U S mid-am. And that's uh, that's kind of the number for mid-ams is top 400. 
And uh, if he can get in that, that'd be that'd be awesome. That's good nice. to know. We played with him yesterday, and Dylan. Still had a rough day out there, 84, and Herbie shot, what, one over? He He's, he was giving me, like, control. he could have given me just about a shot a hole, and I think it would have been a fair <laughs> match for, like, 14, Big 15 holes. smokes yeah. the ball. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess I didn't give a proper introduction to who Matt Parziali is, but, of course, uh, the 2017 Mid-Am champion, which means that he had a hell of a year. Yeah. First of all, it was a beatdown in the Mid-Am final last year. But then, you know, look, this led to a lot of things. It led to an exemption into Augusta, obviously, into the U.S. Open. And it led to a lot of people learning the story of the Brockton firefighter, Matt Parziali. So we just wanted to talk a little bit through your year and what a crazy year it's been. Whirlwind, like at the point at which, but it's one of those things, right? It, 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 once you win the Mid-Am, you kind of know what's ahead of you, at least a little bit. Like yeah. you get the exemptions, right. and, you, and then it's all about prepping. It's actually a great event for that sake, is that you kind of know where you're gonna play. Right now, you got to go ahead and play. So I would say, before last year, the U.S. Open was not on that list. So they announced it at the 2017 U.S. Mid-Am at the cocktail party, and they said we have a new exemption, and that was the U.S. Open. Was that after you'd already won? No, it was before. Oh, okay. It was, it was the start of the week. And so, um, a little more juice. One of my buddies, who's a really good player, he lost in the semis. Um, I think it was in 2015 at Johns Island. So he he's had some success in the event. And he looks at me, he goes, "I'm caddying for you at the, at the Open." I go, and I just blew it off. Whatever. Um, my dad caddy, but it was it was a funny funny story to look back on. So, yeah, back to the Mid Am. It started before that. It started at the Mass Mass Am, which was a tournament that was driving me crazy. Um, only tournament I hadn't won a Massachusetts match play, and just I'd play well and lose in the semis or quarters or finals, whatever it was. And so to be able to break through there at Charles River um, in July was a huge stepping stone to be able to go get on a roll at the mid-am later in, um, it was October last year. It so. is kind of funny to be sitting here in early December of 2018 and to think like, what kind of catching you for the first time? Mm -hmm. I mean, Dylan talked to you right after you won the Mid-Am. First interview. Yeah, first That's interview. right. I want some credit for that on this <laughs> podcast. The first guy to talk to Matt at, what, about 8 a.m. the morning after the Mid-Am Championship in the firehouse. I just get to the fire Brock station, and, my, and this guy's calling me. I'm trying to go through the truck, and I got to do interviews with him. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, this is, like, I mean, you're 18 months removed now from what you kind of consider the first step. Yeah, is it like uh, weird to months. look back? Twelve months, really. Yeah. Oh, first I'd be saying the first step in the mass, mass aim. Yeah, you're right. I thought you meant after the uh, after the win, but yeah, you're right. It's um, these eighteen months of it's changed my life um, for good. Everything's good. Nothing bad. Um, it's just is a different planning for scheduling. I had to take more trips in the winter, and I was able to play some stuff that uh, I normally wouldn't play and get away a little more. So it's yeah. Awesome. So let's start with, uh, did Augusta feel like the first big thing that changed after winning the Mid-Am, or, or was it even before that with doing press and doing different things? Right, so definitely the press. Um, started with you. And Guys like you. Yeah. It hasn't stopped, and it's, we're still doing we're it. We're doing it right <laughs> Yeah, so, but I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I made a choice that day, not with you, but when my phone kept going crazy. Yeah. I made a choice that day, you know, I'm gonna have fun with everyone and try to just give everyone the time that I think that, that they want. And um, was I stretched thin at times? Of course. But uh, I look back and um, I may never get that experience again, so that's why I wanted to embrace it. I want to know if you talked to or were in touch <laughs> with any other mid-am winners prior to you. A ton, yeah. Did you? Yeah. So I'm really good friends with Scott Harvey. Okay. So I leaned on him a ton, and he was 
huge. He just uh, walked me through everything. Stu helped me out. Um, Nathan Smith. Yeah. Um, Austin Eaton. All these guys that have won. Kevin Marsh, uh, and they were great. So, and that's thing. And that was pretty cool for me to talk to Kevin O'Connell this year after I'd won. When yeah. He reaches out and. Um, yeah. that's a cool experience and you know every year maybe the guy who wins is gonna reach out and it's cool to tell them what to expect what not to do what to do Kevin still texting me yeah. about how to handle Augusta and so it's that's just, what I want to yeah. know is what what no one told you that surprised you like crazy yeah going into Augusta you know you were prepared in some senses so tell me about you do you play a practice round did you go in advance to a few weeks out or all right so after I'd won the mid-am, um, about two weeks later, Augusta sends you a packet and with all the information of what to expect, not the invitation. And in that was you get five visits before Masters Week starts. Five visits. That's more than I would have realized. Oh, yeah. God. It used to be unlimited. And then <laughs> someone abused <laughs> Who it. Who was the guy? I don't yeah. know. But someone abused it. And uh, unfortunately, five is enough for me. I had a blast. But you can bring a guest. They can't play. So two weeks later, I, not two days later after I figured out what day my best friend Greg Chalice could go. Um, I called him, we figured out a day, so I called Augusta to schedule the first visit, which was a week before we came here last year. So it was oh. middle of November. Nice. My first time, I, I probably, I mean, in hindsight, if I had that opportunity again, I'd wait till later when the course is really firming up. Yeah. But you get to go to Augusta, Who's gonna, who wants to wait four months to do that? <laughs> so um, we went down, get to spend the whole day. We played, you get there for breakfast. Um, there's no menu, just the guy's like, what do you want? Yeah. Just order whatever you want and they have it. So it's pretty cool. Unreal. So where do you, do you stay on property when you Not on the visits, visit just grabbed the hotel. Um, so yeah, we got in the night before. There, first thing in the morning, breakfast, played 18 holes, lunch, couple drinks, nine holes, and then we're out of there, back on the flight that night. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool to, to drive in there first time. Um, yeah. Obviously my dad was going to caddy for me. So I didn't bring him the first time because he was going to get the full experience. And actually, the cool thing is uh, I have a really close friend, Tim Neer, who's a member there. And he allowed us to, allowed me to bring my dad and Greg to play uh, about three weeks before, before Augusta. No so kidding. they both got to play too. So Pops got to play the course. Yeah, and Greg did too. Even Greg, they, Greg was there before, but uh, awesome. yeah, we got to spend the whole day, two days, and just the whole thing so, so at this cool. point so what do you think because the golf course must play easier at this point than it does for the tournament itself or, or what were what your first impressions yeah you know i mean it's obviously a difficult course um a lot of knowledge and i think that that's where i lacked i felt really good that week yeah. uh, masters week i felt like i was hitting it well i felt like i had a good game plan but the course changes wednesday night to thursday morning really if you haven't seen it before you don't really get it people that's told cool. me that you adjust pretty quickly but as first few holes, you lose a couple shots, and then you're kind of questioning. It's not the same confidence you'd have on shots. I think yeah. that's where my bad shots came from. I felt a real loss of confidence <clears throat> at the Gosling's Invitational yeah, yesterday. Right <laughs> but you don't know, it flips from uh, what Wednesday night to Thursday night. Same yeah, story. That's the thing. But we, I followed you for a couple holes. You don't have to comment on this part. I'll just say I saw you played with Mike Weir. And I saw Mike Weir hit a couple of the worst golf shots I've ever seen a professional hit. You know, flying driver maybe 210 down the right side on number eight. But you said he had one of the best short games you'd ever seen. Chipped it incredibly. Uh, yeah, he hit some bad shots, hit some bad tee shots. I mean, he kicked my ass, so um, he chipped it really good. Um, there was chips that I thought, like, out of nowhere, he's like this. And it was, it was pretty impressive to see. 
And that's obviously why he won there. And I actually read a stat after. He's the only player to win at Augusta without hitting 75% of the greens. Uh-huh. I think he hit 50% that week and won. And that's, that's incredible. Up and so, down everywhere. Yeah, that's incredible. So, wow. um, obviously, you're on the win, and he was a great guy to play with, yeah. telling jokes and kind of walking me through all the stuff that he's seen there, and it was pretty special. Yeah, so how do you – because I know the Masters, you know, on the scorecard it didn't go the way you wanted to exactly, but how do you take away – uh, just positives from that week, or what is your takeaway? How do you go away being kind of disappointed, but also saying, oh, this is an unforgettable experience, and right. you've got to put on a good face, obviously. No one's going to feel bad for you to say, no, I didn't I play well at the Masters, but yeah. it's got to be a little bit tricky, right? So this is the way I would sum it up. I, I started the day, I bogeyed one, I parred two, and I bogeyed three, and I birdied four and five. So I had a good start to the tournament. After hitting a really good tee shot in the first hole, which for me, the biggest unknown was that tee shot. Okay. You don't know what to expect. You never, yeah. never been in front of these people. Yeah, make never contact. Been, never, yeah. Honestly, I was like, if we can move it forward, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> so, that was my initial thought, and to be able to get in there and just hit a really good one right down the middle. Um, that's really cool for me because that was the unknown. That being said, from then till from the sixth hole to the twelfth hole on the day two went pretty poorly. So, yeah. but on 13, starting on 13 on Friday afternoon, I was able to eagle 13. That's right, made an eagle. Yeah. Yeah, Got yeah. some crystal. And so That's I made the putt and Mike goes, there's some crystal. And I was like, what are these what guys are talking about? <laughs> and then Brendan Seal, who's my only friend in the field because I grew up with Keegan and him and Keegan are best friends. Yeah. He walks up, he goes, hey, they're gonna send you some crystal for that. I was like, what are you talking about? So we had to explain it the next couple holes. Yeah. So that was a good start. But then on 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I had birdie pots or eagle pots. I had an eagle pot on 15 too. Where, um, so my first six holes or five holes were good and my last six were good. And to finish well um, and get the crystal and take something away, that was a, I mean, yeah. it was going to be a great experience either way, but for that to happen, that, yeah. was, that was pretty incredible. So you've got, at that point, you've got what, two months to prep for Shinnecock? Yeah. How do um, I mean? And at this point, you're on leave from the firehouse, right? You're yeah. not going in day to day. The last tour I worked was the day I talked to you. I took a leave right after that. <laughs> yeah. So God, yeah. you're pivotal in this yeah. story. <laughs> I know. I like it. This is see. I like that. This is why I like this interview. There's a lot of, of you, <laughs> and there's a lot of insider Massachusetts golf talk. I've been trying to push Keegan Bradley stories left and right since I got on staff. I saw so that on. Good. I saw that tweet yesterday. That's see? awesome. Boom. Yeah. Love He's this. the best. See, this is my best interview stay yet. Together. <laughs> Keegan's the best. I mean, um, I've learned so much from him. Yeah. And that's that's the group we have in New England. Is okay. that guys, even though they're competing against you, they want you to do well, and we have that there. And that's um, Keegan's been a pivotal role in my improvement of the game. Matt, maybe are you the number two highest profile Massachusetts golfer going right now? That's a lot to put on you. I but. mean, that's for you to write about. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Got to put that you in context. You tied him this week. You're number three. T two. T two. Yeah. All right. But U.S. Open prep. Let's keep this back on the rails. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do then to get ready for Shinny? Are you at home at Thorny Lee um, prepping, or where are you? Yeah. So no, I was on the. I was actually on the road for quite a bit of the next month. Um, when I missed the cut at Augusta, I actually went home. On. I didn't prepare to go home. I just went home because we were building a new house. And to be able to get home those two days, um, obviously I wanted to make the cut and I prepared just to go right to Florida. But to go home those two days and take care of some stuff at home was great. And I went right back to Florida Monday morning, played the Terracotta, and the next week played the Concession Cup, and then went over and played the Coleman 
um, and then went home from the coma. So I was actually on the road for three more weeks after that. Because I don't um, think people even realize how busy an amateur schedule you guys play, you know, once, yeah. once you've got a certain ranking. And, and that's what I mean. This year was a, a busy year. I, ho I hope to keep it pretty busy, but it, I don't think it'll ever be as busy as it was this year and then this coming 2018 as well. Uh, I'm sorry, 2019. Yeah. Look, the Masters, you had mixed emotions, I'm sure, coming out of there, just, you know, because of the way things went. The U.S. Open must have been just a massive success. You made the cut. You yeah. shared honors for low am. You rallied, what, on Friday to make the cut? I yeah. mean, so what was that like? Yeah, so after those three weeks, I go home. Like I said, we're back at... Thornley, Old Sandwich, um, playing, practicing with friends, playing some couple, a couple local events, and I was able to win one of our local events. Um, winning breeds confidence, I've always said that. And so from there, I went to Fishers Island, and I was able to win there again. And Fishers Island was the week before the U.S. Open, so I went right from Fishers straight to Shinnecock. So to win kind of two tournaments, you kind of, yeah. even though you're playing good, it's always good to win down the stretch. Got some flow going there. Yeah. And then, um, no, so on Monday, uh, got to Shinnecock and I, learning from Augusta, I probably played a little too much. I mean, you're playing Augusta, so why wouldn't you play as much as possible? But I only played nine holes Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Monday was with PDU Line and Ernie Els. Tuesday was with Keegan, Lucas Glover, and Brennan Steele. And then Wednesday was with Duffner. Had some weather come through, so nine holes was perfect to play. And, That's right. Um, yeah, we were running. It was getting slippery at that point. Yeah, people yeah. were fleeing the course. And, right. And we had the celebration of champions. We played four holes on Tuesday afternoon. Oh, yeah. Um, and I had to say no to Tom Brady. I was supposed to play with him that afternoon. Oh, and didn't do that. This must have killed you to say, <laughs> all right, so the backstory in this is that you had basically a call come in, right? That yeah. Well, I was with Jimmy Dunn at Fisher's Island at a, one of the parties. And he goes, hey, do you want to play with Tom on Tuesday at Friars? I said, yes. Yeah. Not even thinking of it. <laughs> and then I realized I had a prior commitment. And um, the Celebration Champions, it was the first year they did this. Great experience for everyone. Um, my wife, she's my fiance at the time. My wife now was able to caddy for me. Nice. So the Celebration Champions was an uh, alternate shot. They pair you up with two men, uh, two person teams, and you go play four holes. Televised, they have the, and we got to have a dinner after. They give you a bunch of stuff to take home, but um, you still haven't played with TB12. Right, and that was the, that was a huge uh, no. I had to say, probably one of the biggest I've ever had in my life. I know, but look, you got to keep some things on your bucket list, right? Now yeah. you've played the Masters, you've made the cut at the U.S. Open, playing golf with Tom Brady. You got to have something to still look forward to. All right, so then Thursday, Friday. I mean, take me to Friday because there's big names all over the place that are missing the cut. Obviously, Tiger, Rory, what, Spieth. Um, yeah. You were right hovering around the cut line coming down the stretch Friday. Yeah, so I played really well Thursday in a lot of wind. And I shot 74. Um, I made a double down the stretch that was very disappointing. It was unforced, wasn't wind. And that was... That's a good score. That disappointing. Day, yeah, that was good. But at the same time, like... I felt good about where I finished. I made two good pars after that to finish the day. Um, we're in good shape. Uh, three good pars, sorry. And then Friday, they have the projected cut on all the leaderboards. So it started around nine or 10, I can't you forget. You watching that? I wasn't early. When you start playing bad, you start looking. So, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I started day four over and you see projected cut nine or 10 and you make some bogeys. I was able to birdie the fifth hole. One thing I will say about Friday, really cool environment. I did Barstool Radio yeah. on Thursday afternoon and Barstool guys, they were out there. We had firefighters with helmets on out there. It was really cool. 
And the biggest roar I heard other than 18 uh, was the fifth hole I made birdie after making a couple bogeys early. So it kind of gets me back into the round and back into a, a spot you want to be. So finished that nine, maybe made another bogey. And then unfortunately, the first four or five holes of the back nine didn't go as planned. And I bogeyed the 17th hole to get myself outside the number. And it's just so frustrating because that was not a hard shot. It was an eight iron. I just towed it into the bunker, just poor. Only could hit to 30 feet and hopefully make it. And I missed it. So we still have 18, which is one of the hardest holes in the course. And Brutal. Was, I mean, yeah. way uphill. We saw guys hitting all kinds of crazy clubs in there. Right. And so that's what I'm gonna, this is the story I'm going to tell. So I hit a really good drive. I drove it awesome that whole week. Um, never concerned about a drive. Tightest hole, anything. I was hitting my driver well in play out there. But I had a really awkward yardage wind in so I went with a I went with a choked up four iron and tried to hit it as high as possible which makes no sense <laughs> right I mean who yeah. Yeah. so I say to my my instructor Sean Hester after I go dude that shot I hit on 18 I don't know what I came up with but right at the stick landed right next to the hole released about 20 25 feet beyond the hole so I figured I needed to make it I hadn't made a putt the whole back nine, but my speed was perfect. The greens were obviously getting faster, the wind. Um, my speed was perfect. So as soon as I got, as soon as it left the putter, I knew we had the right line and it just kind of, it broke, broke a little right early then just hard left in. And um, to make that putt was, I mean, I've made bigger putts to win tournaments, but this was to make the cut. So it's a little different, but um, it was Father's Day, my dad's caddying for me. You don't think about it at the time, but you look back now and um, that was pretty special. Yeah, I mean, that must have been one of the highlights of, well, your entire amazing year and then your golf career. I and mean, that's yeah. unbelievable right. to go from outside the cut line to inside the cut line at Shinnecock. Yeah. I've got two more things from Matt. We yeah. gotta get him back indoors because yep. it's getting a little, it's a little chilly, chilly out here. Out here. He's in Bermuda. short sleeves and shorts. Um, you advised Dylan to say, you know what? It's time to lose the pro tag. Yeah, I'm still technically a professional golfer. You, you advise him to reapply. For I mean, a... if you can't beat me here, you should be a <laughs> golfer. <laughs> but why not, right? That's kind of what you were saying? I mean, honestly, I root for everyone who turns pro. But because I had some experience in turning pro and getting amateur status back, you don't want to miss your life. You don't want to miss playing competitive golf, chasing PGA Tour. Don't get me wrong. We all want to be in the PGA Tour. Why wouldn't we? But um, there's so much fun to be had playing mid-am golf, amateur golf. This is kind of a, this is, I know this is a pro event and, and an amateur event, but it has a feel of a mid-am event where everyone's hanging out, having a good time. You get to know people, you get to know their lives. And I know I only say this now, but I've only been in this circle four or five years, six years. But I, I can already see these are the best friends I'm going to have the rest of my life. And I only see them five, six, seven times a year. And it's a pretty, pretty good group to be a part of. Yeah, he's talking about us too. And then you probably don't drink as many dark and stormies too on the road when you're uh, grinding for the PGA Tour dream. That's true, and it's fun to drink dark and stormies. So I'll, I'll take that <laughs> under advisement. I'm still a pro for now. No big announcements coming. Um, we'll talk it through on the plane ride home. We will. I think this should have been a good time for the announcement. You want to cut that and start over? <laughs> My last question is mid-am 2019 is going to Colorado Golf Club. Yep. You recently met someone that knows the club all right. Do you need a caddy? Yeah. Well, if you can, if my dad somehow Sean isn't Sean is there. talking about himself, <laughs> to be clear. No, I mean, he's had this hat on all week, so it's been hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> no, my uh, my dad's my caddy. Okay. But we'll definitely do a few practice rounds. Sweet. Long and I'm into it. I got 
just one more question of, look, you had this, this crazy 2018, you played with Rory, Tiger, Ernie Els, you know, all these guys, you played in the US Open, the Masters. Are there, is there one thing, are there two or three just crazy surprising things, things that blew your socks off about pro golfers, about this world? Is there anything that jumps to mind, especially just, that you haven't told anyone else? Just one thing, it's the only thing that's really blew my mind all year is how far Rory hits it. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible. Uh, I smashed one 11 the day we were playing with him, and he had me by 35 yards. I just looked at him and was like, what was that? You know, and that was, I mean, obviously all these guys are good. Everyone's good. I mean, Keegan smashed it. Brendan Steele smashes it. Rory, I mean, Keegan and Brendan are right there. But that 111, when I got one, I just couldn't believe it was 35 yards by me. Maybe he had a sprinkler head, I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> so other than that, I mean, it's, it's just golf. These guys are just really consistent. Tiger's control with his irons and wedges, I noticed that. That's second and on. I've been saying that my whole life, though. To see it in person was incredible, yeah, it lived up but I knew it. that coming in. I mean, it lived up to every bit of it. Um, that's why he's the best golfer of all time, the control of his irons, it's hands down. Simple as that. Thank you, Matt. No, thanks for having me, boys. Appreciate it. Well, that is it for the Golf.com podcast today. Thanks to Parzi Alley for joining us, uh, and hopefully he makes it to the Mid-Am at Colorado Golf Club and, you know, maybe just needs a caddy on the side or a second caddy. Someone with a little course knowledge like myself. But that's it. Stay tuned for another interview next week. Dylan and myself sit down with three up-and-coming tour players and talk to them about everything that they have learned through being a young guy on the PGA Tour.